We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 342 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Ian Hilton, and fresh off his visit to the Camp Nou, it's not really a visit if you go frequently, but fresh off being at the Camp Nou for Barcelona Sevilla, it's Barcelona. How's it going? Hey guys, what's up? Biscalabasa. Well, of course, because yeah. the, the last time you were on the show was a month ago, and Barcelona have not lost a single match since you were last on the show. So, Vizca Barcelona, True. certainly. <laughs> I should stop. Uh, I, I should stop coming. <laughs> oh, no, no, I disagree. We, hum- we humbly disagree. So, I guess, yeah, because you were there, and I think my impressions of the match, I, I do like when we have these, where you're there, and I was here, and by here I mean <laughs> in my studio, here uh, thousands and thousands of miles away. So my perceptions of matches and, perf- I mean, of the match and performances and things might be very different from yours. So I actually want to give you the floor on, I mean, we have to start with Pedri no matter what. So I was going to say, what do you want to start with? But I think we have to start with Pedri and the goal. I think that's the appropriate place to begin, right? It's nice. It, Pedri's goal is like the goal against Galatasaray, but from uh, from outside the box. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> can you believe that he scored four goals this season that was just his fourth goal like it feels like all of them were galazos all of them were were important all of those were significant goals they were all match winners and so it feels like he scored four more than four but he that was just his fourth goal of the season second in the league like walking home i was trying to count them uh are we counting the goal that was uh given to to Alba? no i don't think so okay so because for me, that was Pedri's goal. So that's five goals sure. in half a season. Uh, and I think we were talking about, you know, what he added the last time that I was, I was on the show. And we were talking about how he added long balls. But he's also added long-distance shooting. And wow. I mean, wow. It's, it's just amazing. Well, in, the U- um, in here in the U.S., the commentator, ESPN commentator Derek Ray, and you know, I, on the show, you and you and I have talked about it before. I've been pretty critical of some of the <laughs> some of those that ESPN Plus have put out this year. But Derek Ray is a pro; he's awesome, just like Ian Dark. The back of World Cups, me growing up and hearing, you know, from World Cup matches and everything on ESPN. But he said in the goal call that it was worth the wait, and that's the title of this podcast. And I think that's what it was that. When I looked at this match, I think worth the wait is how I sum it up. And that Pedri goal in particular was worth the wait. I think Barcelona were building to that goal, obviously, of course. But everything for Barca was all down that right flank. Everything was a switch. I mean, as it has been over the last few months. It's get, whether it's Adama, whether it's Dembele, get the ball, switch the ball over to the right, let them go one-on-one. Once that second help comes, you cross in. And we'll talk about Dembele <laughs> later. But in particular, for Pedri, going back to his goal, why that is significant is because for the one time that 
you know, I think Rakitic especially was prepared for Pedri to switch that ball and continue over. So when Pedri put that ball back on his left and Rakitic just slid, right? Because they thought he was going to shoot off his left foot, slides across, and then Diego Carlos comes and steps Again, also assuming that he's probably going to, at that point, release. But he doesn't. He brings it back again. And then he's just completely free and creates his own shooting lane. And obviously on Twitter, of course, the, the name we're hearing is Messi. It's not the shot. It's not the goal that was Messi-esque to me. What was Messi-esque, if anything, was that Pedri's performances have been consistently good over the last two months. He's been Barca's best player. That's what's Messi-esque to me. But also the fact that he's growing in confidence. He's creating his own shooting lanes. And he's just being a difference maker. And I think that's, to me, what is most Messi-esque about what Pedri's doing recently. And no other comparisons about the way they play, the way they're, they're set up on the field, nothing else. Just the fact that he's been Barca's best player, and in this big, important moment, he comes up big again. Yeah, he's definitely our best player. And it also like makes you think how much we missed him during the, the first half of the season. Yeah, Regardless of that, you know, I think we all agreed that the coaching change had to happen. Kuman had to leave. And... Uh, we're all very happy that Xavi is is the manager right now. So this is not like, oh, poor Kuman doing without Pedri. But it does raise the question, like, what state would uh, our season be in if Pedri had been with us since the start of the season? Because he's just so incredibly good. And he influences matches. Like, just by just by being there. I also agree that he's been our most important player. Um, I don't think he was. A, he's not my man at the match, though. Hmm. Are you, you want me to guess? <laughs> you want me to guess what I think your man yeah. at the match was? Um, boy, I think it. I think it's another midfielder. I think you're going to go with Busquets or, or De Jong. No, I'll, I'm. I'm going to go with uh, uh, with our guy overdose OD. Usman Dembele. Totally fair. And I'd love to talk about him next. Yeah. I think it, if I felt like he was going to be talked about next, that's why. Yeah, I, I'm. I want to hear your your cause, but if if anything, I'm going to be able to support what you're about to say with numbers. So <laughs> give me give me the vibes, give me the feelings. I I don't think that we've ever seen such a strong defensive uh, performance of Dembele, where uh, he caused so many turnovers. I think especially in the first half, there were uh, we had a couple of breakaway situations where he did not make the most of the space that he was given. Uh, when he had the ball, but he he could have easily had three assists during the game. Uh, he crossed the ball to Frankie de Jong, who had it over from close. He crossed the ball to Ferran Torres, who also got in a good header uh, in the second half. And he had that through ball to, to, to Alba, which forced a save from the Sevilla goalkeeper. So he, he could have had more than... I, I'm not even sure if we're supposed to count his pass to Perry as an assist, because Perry had to like dribble past two, uh, two, two defenders to get a shot off, you know. But couple his passing with just how incredibly much he influenced the game with, with his defense. For me, he was, he was a clear MOTM. Yeah, his numbers were even better than you thought. I mean, the crossing, and this was part of the strategy too. So this is one of those instances where there's crossing to cross because that's the only option Barca has. I think it was the first match against, was it Alaves or you might remember it better than me. There was a match earlier in the, in October, November, when it seems like Barca's only strategy was try to cross into Memphis right before we got hurt. That was the only strategy they had. And they just did it over and over and over and over again. I think it was Dest was the one crossing generally most of those in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now you could tell that in this match, the idea was to get wide with Dembele as it, as it is, but when Sevilla brought that second man, because it was Sevilla in a low block or a medium block, to get those crosses off as quick as possible. 
And that's why he delivered 15 crosses on the evening. Only four of them were, were accurate or hit a Barcelona player. But still, he was able to create seven key passes. I mean, he had seven key passes and two big chances created in that match with just touching the ball 65 times. Uh, and of all the times he lost the ball, which is 23, and you and I have done this before, he lost the ball 23 times. But to me, I don't really care how many times he lost the ball because he's the focal point of the attack. He's the, the reason why Barca are getting things done offensively. But it was where he lost the ball. He always lost it high and wide. And Barcelona were already in their rest defense. They were already set up to press. He only once exactly. lost the ball within, I think it was 25 yards of midfield. He was generally in the final third of Sevilla before he, fi he finally lost the ball. So you're right. I, I think he was excellent. And actually, pointing out the defensive part of it, I thought offensively, I mean, what he was doing was pretty incredible today. He only, other than those crosses, he only misplayed six other passes today. And so many of those <laughs> passes were supposed to be square balls or the final ball. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Dembele was, was, was excellent and... For 76,000 people, you can mention not all of them were cheering him when he came off, but I think he rightly uh, he rightly deserved that applause. And my, my question for you would be, do you think the 76,000 people would have appreciated his performance less if that match had ended 0-0? I don't know. I, I arrived after the names were announced. So I asked uh, uh, Paula, the girl uh, who sits next to me, uh, whether he was booed this time when, when his name was announced by anybody. And she's like, no. Nobody at all. During the match, everybody was very appreciative of him. And he, I don't think there was anybody in the stadium who did not applaud him when he came off, um, some even standing up to do so. Whether that would have been the case if the score had still been nil-nil, I don't know that Xavi would have taken him off at nil-nil. So, you know, there's that as well. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, as we said, the plan A was Dembele, and then plan B was something else. And because plan yeah. B worked, something else happened. Then it was all about holding on to that final result. And you could argue that, no disrespect to Nico in the last part of that match, but defensively, Dembele did a better job than Nico did in his few times on the field. Nico just didn't really jump into that match ready to go. He had a few balls where he either didn't release when he needed to or the, the foul laid on in the 93rd minute. So yeah, Nico had some moments. But yeah, Dembele was excellent. Even defensively, like Xavi went for this match. He set up his 11 saying, you know, this is our best 11. And you could tell that because Sevilla were going to press a bit more than sitting in a low block. And Sevilla is one of those teams too. I, I want to be very clear with this, that are talented enough to not have to do what Levante does, where they play a complete low block and they all settle in and it's it's a 6-4-1, right? Or, or whatever, yeah, 6-3-1 defending, right? And they're all settled in. But Sevilla is good enough to be in a low block and also hurt you because they have individual players like Acampos, like Martial, who are able to get out and run and cause danger. And even Rakitic, like credit to Rakitic as well for putting pressure on Busquets for so much of that match. But with Sevilla being as good as they were, in, again, this pseudo low block, medium block, you weren't worried, that being Xavi, wasn't worried to start Araujo over Eric Garcia. Like, it wasn't like Alatasaray where you had to break through those lines. For Sevilla, they were eventually going to and want to come out of their shell with their talented players. And it is really an odd thing that Barcelona seems to, this system, be able to have a bit more success, of course, against a team like Sevilla, because eventually those talented players are going to leave that space in behind. That a team like Levante, whose only job is to, you have to stay here. Stay, block, clear. <laughs> that's that's your job. And so those those spaces were opened up in behind. And so Araujo wasn't tasked to break through lines with his passing. He was able to just shuttle the ball over to Danny Alves. Danny Alves would dribble either infield to invert or just immediately get the ball to Dembele. And the combination of Alves and Dembele supporting him, 
Araujo was in no danger of having to worry about having to be the man to progress the ball forward or to break lines. So Xavi gets his 11, I mean, completely right, but also in the same regard, like, Levi, I don't know if you want to take any credit away from him, but, like, this is the 11. This is the Gala 11. This is the match you go, this is the 11 you go with to win a match nowadays. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, I mean, we've seen variations with uh, PK and uh, Eric being the center center back pairing and yeah. then uh, Araujo on the right, uh, which I'm also fine with. I thought Araujo was very weak on the ball today. The only passes he made, like 99% of his passes were either to PK or or back to Testegen. I don't think it was a coincidence that uh, Xavi sent Eric Garcia uh, out to warm up basically uh, as the first minute of the second half but in the end we were able to create enough danger and Eric was never subbed on but I do think that that was possibly one of the weaker points of our performance tonight uh, Araujo on the ball it seems that with Araujo he has like one good match on the ball and one poor match mm-hmm. one good match where he does things like he does break lines and you see him do things that you know he was simply not capable of one or two seasons ago uh, and then for every good performance, you get a performance like tonight where all he does is lose time on the ball and play it back to, to PK or maybe Danny Alves when Alves is close. And to that point, I mean, I guess, again, that's kind of what I was saying, that because even with Araujo being poor on the ball, with Alves taking on the responsibility he does, with Dembele taking on the responsibility he does, and to me, I kind of want to talk about the midfield now because Busquets, De Young, and Pedri were all you know, borderline excellent. If anything, Busquets and De Young numerically were better than Pedri was. And then, of course, Pedri scores the goal. And <laughs> Pedri was, was fantastic mm-hmm. as well. You know, I just want to give you Busquets' numbers here. Busquets never lost possession. Not a single time in that match did Busquets lose possession today. Perfect 47 of 47 of his passing only took 54 total touches, meaning he only took seven other touches that weren't immediately passes and moving the ball. That's, I mean, it's pretty gross in a way. And then De Young was 37 of 37 and only lost possession once even. And he was even touching the ball and getting touches and getting passes in that final third as he was marauding forward a bit more. And I, I don't know if you noticed this from the field, I mean, where you're, where you're sitting, but what was interesting to me was 
this chess match that happened. I, I think for those that thought that it was 0-0 because neither team was, was playing particularly well, I actually thought 0-0 was, until that goal happened, was totally fair because both those teams I thought were really good. I think they were really holding each other well, and it was too. It was just a well a well played game from from both sides. And what Xavi set up in the beginning was he would have Busquets high, as in defending high against that block, where knowing Sevilla was going to have a bit of the ball. That was the instruction. Well, maybe that was the instruction given because they're starting to understand the system where Xavi's able to make changes throughout a match. It's not like when you're there for the first week or two or three weeks, you have to have gone over in training. Now they've gone over things in training enough where he can actually give instruction based on what the opposition is presenting forward. And so he had Busquets high, and then by dropping, especially in the first half of a match, by dropping Pedri and De Jong to defend, Barca has a bit more legs and speed to contend with quick movements to the center of the field. And once Sevilla would set up in Barca's half, Busquets would look to step then and man-mark Rakitic, who was playing as that number 10 in behind the two strikers. And Rakitic then would look to do the same when Barca had the ball. It just wasn't working to the same effect because De Jong was just running, 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 running so much. And nobody was tracking him at all. Juan Jordan was nowhere to be found in terms of defensively. He was just focusing everything on getting forward. But he wasn't because those were immediately shut down by Barca's press. And that tactic, though, Credit to Lopetegui. He, that changed a bit in the second half. They put that extra body in midfield, and then Jesus Navas was getting a bit farther forward on the right wing, which forced De Jong and Pedri both to play a bit wider, which left Busquets, in theory, a bit more exposed, which just meant that Busquets then had to be a little bit farther back and couldn't press as high. And, and so just all those things working in tandem, you know, there was a moment in that game when Lopetegui and Sevilla could have broken through, and it could have been one nothing, but it wasn't. Barca held their line, and they get another shutout. And now for Barca, that's five clean sheets in their last seven matches. So if anything, like, yeah, it was, I mean, it, it took a while. Then you could talk about the Pedri high miss and then De Young header miss and the Torres long range miss and the PK header miss. But I mean, Barcelona deserved a result in a really well-played match to me. And tactically, again, I credit Xavi for making the right decisions and, and making sure that Lopetegui didn't get that last chess move to get his goal in. Instead, it was Barca who were able to counter and get that goal. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I know I throw a lot and, out there. Then. You know, go anywhere you want. <laughs> I, I think we could have scored two or three. Like we were very much in control. Sevilla created very little. They weren't full strength either. You know, they were missing a couple of guys. But yeah, this was a one nil. But it felt like it could have been more. I'm okay with the three points. Hey, who isn't? And uh, like you said earlier, if if it's one nil. But that goal is of the quality that that Pedri gave us. Then you know, hey, that's that's just gorgeous. And that's the that's the other thing. If we think about since uh, since Xavi is here, it's not just that we score more goals. We, we've scored some incredibly beautiful goals. Yeah. So there, there, there's the Pedri goal. There's the Pedri goal against Galatasaray. There's the Go Ferran goal against, uh, against Madrid that mm-hmm. came off that back heel assist of Alba. There's the, the Dembele goal where he shoots from, from a tight angle with, with his left foot. There's the, the Gavi goal where he created the space by receiving it and playing it for his own legs and then turning it. And then dribbling past another guy, and then and and then scoring from outside the box. I mean, uh, the the sheer beauty of all those goals. It's not just that we're playing well. It's not just that we are that we're winning again. Uh, we're, we're scoring beautiful goals. So I mean, what a time to be alive! Well, scoring beautiful goals, but also scoring like the necessary goals. Like 
uh, like how many of Obama Yang's goals have been really simple striker goals. They've been a run to the near post and just finish one time off the cross from the right wing from his friend Dembele and put the ball in the back of the net. And then Araujo, he's got his goals through the air, headers, PK, just put him in the back of the net and they count all the same as a beautiful goal or a regular goal. But I also thought too, there was a moment in today's game where off a throw-in, there was, it was a two-in throw-ins I want to talk about in particular because again, it's a big thing in mentality, which I think we're I'm overstating this, but I'm noticing how they react and how this team reacts to corners and throw-ins in a way that they haven't for a long time. And like that shows you the buy-in and the motivation where Dembele defended well on a throw-in and he like pops up and shows this emotion because he like he he kept the the ball, he kept possession for his team. And it's like those little moments where like I mean, Dembele cares whether or not it's a throw-in for Barca, a team he's about to leave on a free you know, <laughs> or not, right? And the, whether or not Barcelona kept possession there, it mattered everything to Dembélé, even though it was, I think it was directly at midfield. And then there was one in the first half where, you know, I think for a while, and this is no disrespect to Valverde and Setien and and and, and Koeman, but th- in that first half, there was a moment where, I, I don't know if you remember this, where Ferran Torres was going to take the throw in. And then there was a call from Xavi, and Jordi Alba then, this was in the first like 10 minutes of the match, comes over and takes the throw in instead. And it was clearly a set play on that throw-in where it seems like now even the throw-ins, it isn't just like, let's get the ball in and then try to turn and, and go towards goal and figure what happened. The two ideas that this team seems to have with throw-ins is you either get in behind with, with Ferran Torres or your winger, or you're going to bring in your winger uh, if the if the outside back is throwing it in, and you're going to have Pedri or Gabi, whoever your high interior is, and you're going to get him in behind. That's option one. If that doesn't work, then we saw Ferran Torres then, this is plan B, the fullback comes over, takes the throw-in, and the full, the winger stays high, if you will. And then the interior, this being Pedri in this case, makes a sprint, like a 20-yard sprint backwards. And then the fullback will throw it into the path of that interior. And then the interior, their job is just to recycle the ball back to the center back or back to the goalkeeper. And then you build that way. So it seems like even on throw-ins, like the they're just such detail. This is what we do in this situation. This is what we do if this doesn't come off. And, and I think I'm making too much of that, but I feel like it's the same thing with corners and throw-ins where these set pieces or these dead ball situations feel like something that Barcelona is prepared to take advantage of. And that is something I can say that I think it has, to, that's where Messi de Bencia kind of weird its head where it's like, as long as we throw it in and it gets to Messi, as long as we have a corner kick and <laughs> Messi's taking it, or you know what I mean? Or we find him eventually, like something good's going to happen. But I feel like this team does have that weight lifted. We're like, okay, this is a throw in. This is an opportunity for somebody. One of the 11 here, we have a game plan on these set and these dead ball situations. And, I can't tell you the last time I felt like that existed for this team. Or am I just making that up? <laughs> Is that no, too much? No, no, no. It's true. I think for corners, one one thing to keep in mind with corners is that with Araujo and Pique, you know, just those two guys are so dangerous yeah. on corners. So we have not had a pairing like that for, for a long time because Umtiti is not a scoring threat ever, you know? So for a long time, our uh, our backfield center-back pairing was Piquet and, and Umtiti. You know? So that just means that the only one who can score from from a corner is basically Piquet. I mean, you've got to um, go back. You have to go back to Puyol and Piquet because Mascherano wasn't either. And you're talking exactly Mach- Mascherano Mach- Mach- was yeah. not either. But Puyol and Piquet, how yeah. long did they actually play together? The three and a half, four seasons? One, I mean, one and a half, one one of one and a half seasons that they really played together. Twenty twelve, yeah. when Puyol, Puyol was already injured helping. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Avidal was strong, strong in the air defensively, but not offensively. 
and I, and also I don't think that Piquet at that point was an offensive threat at corner uh, on corners yet. Yeah. So when we talk about hey, you know, all of a sudden we're dangerous on corners. Well, the the, the reason for that is for the first time ever, we we have two players who are individually super dangerous on corners on set pieces. So that that's just another um, another weapon in our arsenal right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, th- I think it's true, and I think you're right about the just because a player is tall. I think there's this idea that they're they're good on set pieces or, or whatever it is, but it has to do with system even. Because like Rafa Varane, right? See the difference between him at Manchester United and him at having been at Real Madrid, right? Like the threat of Sergio Ramos made Varane more dangerous in the air, and now without mm-hmm. Sergio Ramos, Varane looks a lot less dangerous in the air, maybe defensively, that's a tongue-in-cheek, but offensively as well. And in the case of, I mean, even, not say Busquets, but even the likes of Busquets or Alba coming in from behind, having the threat of Pique and Araujo is making Alba's long shots, once the ball goes over everybody, it's making those spaces wider and making it more dangerous. And you're right, I think in year three, right, of Araujo really being a banger in the air like this, you clearly see that there is a confidence that wasn't there even before on set pieces. Like, he knows he's going to get to it. And we saw it actually in this match, too, where he just sprints right to the near post and nobody picked him up. And I, I'm trying to mm-hmm. say, it was Koundé. What was it, Car- uh, Diego Carlos or Koundé? One of the two was on him. And it didn't matter. He just sprinted right to the, the near post. And, you know, I think and Dembele from that corner, Dembele's set piece delivery on these corners has been excellent as well. And, I, and not, I'm not going back. This isn't a blaming of, of Messi. I'm just saying I'm noticing that when Barca is playing well now, this year, this is the first time, right? The last two months that Barcelona has played well without Lionel Messi since 2005, <laughs> right? Like 2000. And, I mean, when are we talking? No, right? no, that's 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 not true. We've had spells where Messi was injured, where we've played well. Right. Well, yeah, so, the El, like the class of 2018. The start, I think the first half of 2018 when Messi mm-hmm. was out, and yeah, and the five one. And you're right, you're right about yeah. that. I just mean um, where the system has and, changed. And, the system is and, different, and, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. That's not I'm just picking oh. up on things that why is this team looking a bit different? And, and it's, it's these reasons that spaces are just different because guys are finding space that Messi would normally be occupying. And they're taking, again, just going to the corners and throw-ins and all the little minutiae, all the details. And even, again, guys doing different things. Like, if Messi's on the field, like, Messi is either taking the corner himself or you're playing it to Messi in on the short corner. Or he's not involved and then the other team knows that it's going to look to be a square ball for him coming, right, like, at the near post. And like that's that's the three iterations of Barca's corners for a long, long time. So all I'm saying is like that, yeah, that now that Barca is playing well, and you're watching these these set pieces from Dembélé, and you're like, well, I mean, he's been here for a long time, he's been hurt, but we never actually got to see that because of, of Messi. And again, that's mm-hmm. uh, that's not a knock on Messi. I'm saying like he could always handle that responsibility, and now his team is systemically handling that responsibility and sharing it. I wonder if Messi watches the games. Well, he was currently playing. I think they were the game today was incongruent. PSG was okay. while while they were, yeah, or, but they were they're barely overlapping. In in general, I wonder if he watches the games. I think he checks if, in. I think he checks hmm? in. I think he checks in. I think he I think he has It ways. might be too painful for him. He did not want to leave. He's definitely not happy in in Paris. I, I and I also I don't know. I, I the only way that would be is that like I would say not I mean I'm not him, but I would like think that he would be as excited for his friends. I mean these again are lifelong friends i think he's excited for his friends not excited but i think he's just happy for his friends to succeed like he still like loves the club and i think so much of his ire is directly related at at bartimeo right and it's like 
I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm going to compare because I have to here, but like when I was playing high school tennis, I, uh, yeah, stick with me. So when I was playing high school tennis, my coach at the time, he would sit me for no reason. There were just, he just had this thing. He just did not like me and he would sit me and he would try to humiliate me. He, we had a, a there was an incident on senior day where my, uh, one of my friends, the manager made these programs and he then printed new programs, cutting my name out. I mean, it was absurd. I mean, these crazy things. And like, but at the end of the day, like he didn't make me hate tennis and he didn't make me hate my, like, I mean, I hate some of my teammates anyway, but he didn't make me hate my friends on the team. He didn't make me hate my friend who was the manager. Like he didn't make me hate the program. Right. And like the minute he mm -hmm. retired, the minute he retired, like I was excited, but not for myself because I was in college or I was beyond, yeah. but I was excited for the program to no longer have him <laughs> attached to it. Right. I was excited <laughs> for actual other people who might've been like me to be able to play. Like I was excited for other kids to be like, okay, no, it's your turn because this guy can't like, this guy's not here anymore to individually pick who he doesn't like because like I think for me when I was a freshman I didn't buy the racket that's all it took like I didn't buy the tennis racket that he was selling through third party whatever and because of that he was like well this guy's nothing it's like well I couldn't afford the racket at the time so that's why we didn't buy it it's also I didn't know if I was going to be good enough to buy a $130 racket you know what I mean like that's why I saw the $10 mm -hmm. one from Kmart and saw <laughs> when you figure out what happens if I get good enough my parents will get me the nice one but like but again like I didn't it was all my ire throughout the years always came just back to him it's like and I think for Messi Part of it might just be like Bartomeu was the reason. He was the reason for all of this. And I know there are other people behind the scenes, but like I think just think so much of his hate is directed at that place and not the club, not at Laporta. And I know like people always try to make it about the drama, about like, oh, Laporta could have kept Messi, but he chose not to. And that's why Messi's hurt. But no, I think so much of it is like he sat in that slop of Bartomeu financially yeah. ruining the club for years. And I think so much in hindsight, every day that goes by, it's, it, it's more about the time that was lost than it is about the way that he, they left. So, so speaking of presidents, right? You can't believe what I wrote, uh, what I wrote, what I read in Mundo Deportivo by uh, Luis Canut. Uh, Santo Rosel is actually going to run for mayor of Barcelona. Of course. I mean, of course, you can't, you can't uh, teach an, uh, like, an old dog new tricks. They just, they want to be involved. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. He had to resign from Barcelona yeah. within what, one year? Because of some of the some of the nonsense that he pulled, like he cannot run a football club. They want him to run a city, yeah, a big city, like a really important rich right. city, a city that has a lot of yeah. imports and exports and global business and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, right. My God, yeah, his financial My ideas God. landed him in prison, and now he's going to try mm -hmm. to run, run Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, good idea. But okay, so all right, back to the match at hand though, uh, Levan. We don't we don't have to go too far much longer on it. But Xavi before this, and this is kind of tongue in cheek because of the Don said that this was a final. But when you do look at it, this was the most important game left for Barcelona on their La Liga schedule. Like, they're either going to catch Madrid or they're not. And it seems like after this match, how much of that focus, how much of that intensity is now going to be directed directly at the Europa League? Because it seems like yeah. La Liga is in a really, really, really good spot, right? Like, what is it? They probably have a 70, 78 to 85% chance of definitely getting second or third in the Liga. At this point, even though they're tied with Sevilla, Atletico Madrid and Barca, they're all on 57 points and Barca has that game in hand. But still, you have to feel the way that Barca is playing. They're, they're going to get results, especially after Real Madrid and Sevilla. Nine matches left. And they are four points ahead of Betis with a game in hand. Yeah, so mathematically, it's uh, far from guaranteed. So we still need to like be on top of our game to to qualify for the Champions League. But yeah, Europa League is 
becoming more and more and more important right now. Also because if we win the Europa League, that puts us in the in the first pool for for the Champions League group, right? Yeah, in pot one. Right. And then you get to avoid yeah. Bayern Munich and Exactly. I start with Bayern Munich always because <laughs> avoid Bayern Munich at all costs, but no, it yeah, would be no, fun I, if, if Barca signed uh, Robert Lewandowski, and it would be a little return match for Lewandowski there for Bayern Munich. But I, I think it's I think Barca's like one season too early to exercise those demons. But it also has to do with the health of Ansu Fati. But what do you what do you think about that actually? Because by the next time, I mean we have one more pod before Ansu's likely to return against Levante. But he was at the match today, and I mean, where do you stand on how quickly he'll be back and what his role even is going to be when he gets back? So I see a lot of people like upset saying, no, he should not play this season. He should focus on next season. I'm like, excuse me, are you a doctor? You know, if, if the medical staff thinks that he's ready to return, thinks that he's ready to get minutes, then by all means, let him get his minutes. I mean, that's the reason that he did not want to have surgery, right? Because he wants to play. And the last surgeries have not gone uh, all that well. I think that, you know, the mistake that we made or that Xavi made, well, both Xavi and Ansu together, was uh, by playing him longer than the 30 minutes that the medical staff had told him to play uh, yeah. against uh, Bilbao uh, when that went to prolongation. You know, and that's, that's when he got uh, another muscle injury. How, however, I don't see us making that mistake again because the team is clicking right now. So we don't really need need him to get a result. The only risk being if we're in a Europa League tie and he brings him on uh, 20 minutes before the end and then there's a 30 minute extra time uh, on top of that match and for whatever reason they don't want to take him off. I don't think, uh, they'd, if, make, I don't think they'd make that same mistake again though. Like, to your point, Ricard Pruno with him coming back as the, the head doctor, like he, it's, it's so weird, right? Because you'd think that, and I talked about this on the YouTube video about Xavi, you know, the changes they've made. Like, you'd think that every doctor would make the same choice, right? You'd think that sports science and medicine is at a point where doctors say, oh, like, you know, this is what current research says. This is what's dictating mm -hmm. this. But that's not true. I mean, doctors make different decisions and doctors hear from different things and agents have their say and parents have their say and the players have their say. And so, I mean, all these different injuries and situations are handled differently. And since Xavi returned and brought Ricard Pruna back to the club to be the, the head doctor, other than leaving Ansu on, which is something that pretty much every party has admitted was the wrong thing to do, Pedri has not relapsed. Dembele has not relapsed. Pique has not been injured again. Araujo is, other than breaking his hand, and then Umtiti the same thing, other than like fluke injuries that happen, Araujo has been generally healthy. I mean, Dest has been hurt twice. So, I mean, Dest would be one you circle, but Danny Alves hasn't been hurt at the age of, of 38. Alba has been the mark of health. Right, it was just Balde who got hurt, and he's he's now back for Barca B. But yeah, this team is generally almost more healthy than they've been in years since basically since Pruno left the first time. So it's like I, I don't want to say that he's some kind of like you know doctorate savior, but he's got it right. He just he's got it right, and the team is healthy, and it should be noted. Like it's an important thing to say that that was a decision that Xavi made and said I, I want my guy back, and he convinced him to come back, and he did come back, and and now the team is healthy other than Ansu Fati. And so other than that mistake that they made. I actually am optimistic. I don't know how who Ansu will be when he returns or how quickly he'll get back to where he wants to be or what that's going to look like or how healthy he'll be throughout his career. Like, you know, after having all those knee injuries at that age, like 
I'm worried about him at 28, 29, but him at 22, 25 should still be Ansu Fati that we know. It's the back end of those knee injuries that are, that are going to be the issue. But for the, mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future, I mean, he truly might just be back and be fine. I don't think they'll make the same mistake again. And so you could really look at who will Ansu be for this team this year and next year. And this year actually gets to be, because of where Barca is, a tryout for where Ansu will be and where he'll play, what role he'll have in the team next season. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is if, if Ansu stays fit for the remainder of the season, that might also influence on what we do in the in the summer transfer window, right? Yep. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I mean, and then it's, of course, going to be tantalizing to see Dembele, this new improved Dembele, play with Ansu, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Before that, there's Europa League on Trank Frankfurt on Thursday. So, yeah, we'll have that. We'll have that ready for you. So, Levan. Thanks so much for joining the show again and doing Sevilla with us. I know it's real late in Barcelona, but uh, yeah, we recorded this actually last night, uh, right after the game happened. So if it's in your ears, some time has gone by. So maybe another player has gotten injured we didn't know about, but hopefully not. Because again, everything has been positive basically since the last time LeVon was on the show. So hopefully things stay positive until next time you're on, LeVon. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) All right, man. My pleasure. Forza Barca. And remember, you can follow Levon on Twitter, at Barcelab. You just hit his name down in the show notes below. We're at Barcelona on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, or don't, or don't. Uh, don't, don't, don't follow me. I have too many followers already. No, too many. We don't. So the Barcelona Podcast, we are close to 10,000. So help us get to 10,000 over there on Instagram as well. So close to group, the Barcelona Podcast, answer the questions, let you in, Patreon and, and YouTube as well. We're 10,000 subscribers over there. So thanks everybody for helping us get to that mark. And these match reviews are also there as well. So most importantly though, thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of Barca. Barca. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.